Mustafa and Ken here. Welcome back to the Alert Medic One podcast. Alert Medic One response. Garrett Stephan. I have um, 16 years in volunteer fire service and spent seven years in corrections and then five years working for a law enforcement agency as a deputy sheriff. What made you make the jump from, from corrections to? I always wanted to do law enforcement and corrections was the, uh, the foot in the door. Oh, mm-hmm. I, sh- I guess I shouldn't have said that. Well, <laughs> it's not where I wanted to be. That's fair. However, I'll tell you... Um, you learn how to communicate with people I'm very sure. well. And uh, it definitely helped me once I went over to the law enforcement side. Tell me about your time in the fire service. Uh, it started when I was 16 in the uh, uh, local department and you know, got a bunch of certifications and loved it. Uh, I was not interested in EMS whatsoever. Okay. Absolutely fair. against it. Yeah, that's fair. Um, but when I went over to corrections slowly started getting involved in EMS because mm-hmm. I saw the, the need for it in the facility. Sure. Eventually got my first responder or EMR now. Yeah. And um, I kind of kept it there. And, and Did you ever go for EMT or no? I, <laughs> I did when I went over to law enforcement. Okay. Um, I always pushed it off, mm-hmm. never wanted to do it, and then finally... Um, I was trying to become a um, a SWAT medic, mm-hmm. so I knew that I would have to get EMT sure, and, and likely sure. progress from there if I wanted to do that, so that's yeah. what kind of made me pursue it. I finished EMT, just never, I got injured and then never, um, did, the never did the practical and the yeah. test. Cool. So. Cool. And you actually ended up, and we'll, we can get into the specifics of this later, but you actually ended up teaching a lot of... Uh, emergency medical care for police officers or law enforcement that actually became a big part of what you did in your time with your jurisdiction. That's correct. Um, I started off almost uh, immediately doing the CPR first aid instructor thing um, just because one, I wanted to do something and there wasn't a lot of other people jumping to do it. And uh, it was a good chance to, to get out of the jail and, and actually go do something different but um yeah eventually i went and and as soon as i got in law enforcement i went and became a lemac instructor which is law enforcement emergency medical care course which is through mims Mm -hmm. but um which is the state's ems agency yeah and it's basically just the military's ccc geared towards law enforcement so i know back in the day uh law enforcement where i worked used to do the first responder um, sure which was better than nothing, but when the state developed LEMAC, it made that bridge that c- kind of combined first responder and TCCC, and it was very, um, it was the right course for law enforcement as like a basic course that everyone should have. Let me ask you this. Do you feel, and you, you definitely don't have to answer this, but do you feel that you got enough tr- uh, repetition to keep your skills from not going sca- uh, uh, stale once you got your training? 
the reason I asked that, and uh, let me scope that a little bit, uh, from other law enforcement friends uh, that I have, and, well, friends, um, the one of the biggest complaints I hear is you get a ton of training in the academy, some of it ends up not being relevant, and then you don't get, uh, there's no opportunity for training on the job. You have to find it out, seek it yourself, whether that's use of force training, whether that's uh, martial arts, whether that's medical training. So I'd love to hear your thoughts on that. No. LEMAC was every two years, okay. I believe, and uh, no, the, the normal everyday officer mm-hmm. who's going through that eight-hour course once every two years it's absolutely not enough. Okay. And there, there, there isn't any time for um, on-the-job training. Okay. And I think it's with any most law enforcement agencies, I'm, I'm assuming there. Um, I don't know. Ken and I kind of discussed this before, but it just comes down to uh, money and the amount of people they have. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of people can't get training, can't get sent to training while they're working because there's no officers to, to fill that spot while that officer's in training. Okay. So um, a lot of times it's kind of the bare minimum or, or even an agency's proactive and, and adds a, uh, a course that, that's not required, but they want to see. Mm-hmm. But again, the normal officer's going through it once every two years, mm-hmm. and it's just not enough. So That's, that's interesting. Yeah. Did you find that with the skills you learned in LEMAC and your first responder course or EMR – that you use them frequently, or how often did you really, you know, control the bleed, stop the bleed, do CPR, use the bag valve mask? You guys carry AEDs in your jurisdiction, which is not a universal standard. Really, I did um, not know that. Yeah. Wow. Uh, or even, have you ever delivered a baby? You know, anything like that? So every officer would be different. Um, I know for me, I did CPR all the time. I mean, that was a very, very common thing. But I was squirrely, and I liked adding myself to EMS call, even though, you know, law, law enforcement's automatically dispatched here when it um, when there's a cardiac arrest mm-hmm. or anything like that. But I, I cross-monitored the, uh, the fire service, and I was always jumping on calls. I mean, there were times where I'd get a two-minute jump on an EMS call, whether it was a, a vehicle accident or a cardiac arrest, before it went through dispatch and then mm-hmm. came over and I was actually alerted for it. Um, so it did CPR all the time. I never delivered a baby. I know that there's officers that have um, dealt with a lot of overdoses. Um, you know, Narcan a lot of people. Oh, we'll talk but, about Narcan later. <laughs> yeah, I know yeah. that one's going to come up. Oh, um, yeah. <laughs> but um, as far as bleeding control trying to think if i even ever got the opportunity to do it to do it in the field i don't i don't really think that i did there's officers that i know who have applied multiple tourniquets Mm -hmm. um so it just kind of depended on the the luck of what call you could get or or what experience you got um so yeah i don't know if i fully yeah you answered that that. great Uh, have you ever narcaned a diabetic (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> no, I um, I tried to only use Narcan when it was necessary, and uh, I just didn't see the need in Narcaning uh, diabetics or drunks or anything like that. Okay, just a bad EMS meme. Yeah, I know. I know. Can you tell me about your Narcan training? Like, what 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 does it encompass? How does it look? What are you guys told to do? 
I know that uh, I believe it was the health department actually gave us our training on Narcan. The health department did. I think so. Okay. I, I could be wrong about that. Maybe it was sponsored by the health department. It was an outside group, but we went to some um, training and, and there were civilians and educators and everything in this training. And it was a couple hours. They told us what it was and how to use it and go to town. A couple hours. Maybe. If that felt like a couple hours, literally like two hours, literally like, okay, yeah, it was, it was not an all day course. It was in, in the, I think in the, the evening. Just and, what, like, and what they tell you, if they're not breathing, just send it. Uh, I honestly, I don't, I don't really remember. Okay. Um, but I, you know, I think the, the main takeaway was better safe than sorry. Mm-hmm. Narcan's not going to hurt them. Mm-hmm. So if you suspect that it could be an overdose, send it. That's interesting. Narcan's not going to hurt them. So did they tell you how much Narcan to give? And did they talk about bag valve masks at all? I think, do you guys carry those? Yes. Um, I don't know that everyone was carrying bag valves, but um, a lot of us were. And I, I can't remember if that's um, how they were distributed or, or what... Um, you know, how they were given out to people. But, okay. but yeah, the, the class did not, as far as I know, talk about bag valve masks um, just because of who it was geared mm. at. It wasn't geared at, you know, a someone responding. It was geared as, you know, the everyday lay person and, you know, what they're going to have access to. And for okay. the most part, and especially at the time, because this was 2014. So nowadays with stop the bleed and, and how much that's evolved. And now we're seeing, um, you know, we're seeing AEDs next to stop the bleed kits in public in places and, um, you know, larger institutions and stuff. So there, the equipment is becoming more mainstream, but at the time, uh, it wasn't normal that, that anyone would have access to a bag valve. Sure. Okay. I'd love to hear the. Uh, it's funny bringing up the stop the bleed kits and in institutions. I'd love to see the efficacy and usage of those. I would be really interested because I can say, and I'd like to hear from both of you. Like I've said before, I've been involved in EMS for 17 years. I have never once seen any stop the bleed kit used in public. Mm-hmm. I have seen law enforcement apply tourniquets. Man, me too. But yeah. I have not seen on a college campus or something a stop the bleed kit actually used and i've had more than one person who has received naloxone that i ended up having to sedate because Mm -hmm. like you said they're speedballing and they come up on that cocaine high uh and it's bad you know and it borders you know it borders uh you know stimulant toxicity or excited delirium Mm -hmm. you know and they have to be taken down with a sedative and and basically what good have we done at that point mm-hmm. by reversing that high mm-hmm. and uh and i think yeah. it's an important conversation but the the normal law enforcement officer mm-hmm. you just spoke a different language to them Ex- they yeah, have exactly. no idea what yeah. you're talking about yeah and yeah. uh and that's the kind of the issue but also is there a way to get them to even understand that yeah um yeah well, I think it takes guys like you that had the interest, right? I mean, you even said, you, I mean, you basically described yourself as a self-starter that, like, listened to both dispatches. Yep. And uh, 
uh, put yourself on calls. But like, imagine, I mean, I'm sure maybe you look at it this way, maybe you don't, but if you got to one cardiac arrest where you got hands on chest earlier than anybody and mm-hmm. you had a positive outcome, you made a difference. Absolutely. Absolutely. Right. And if, if you naloxoned one patient mm-hmm. a couple minutes earlier than EMS would have gotten there and they didn't die because of that, you made a difference. Yeah. Yeah. And I, th- I think it's the other thing was being involved in it and then also trying to stay informed about any any changes or, or any updates um you know when we were doing our cpr first aid classes or we were doing our our uh, stop the bleed classes we would try to talk about that kind of stuff you know hey guys just because the narcan doesn't work within 30 seconds doesn't mean that you need to give them another dose immediately mm-hmm. um well, that's or good. you you know you don't need to administer six doses of narcan it's not not necessary and, and additionally that is good to hear yeah, well, I think the other thing, too, was trying to tell people, hey, the, the point of this is not necessarily to wake them up. Mm-hmm. We just want them to be breathing. Let's get them to that point where they're breathing on their own, mm-hmm. and you know, then we'll let EMS do their job. Yeah. Can I ask another question while we're on the topic? Absolutely. Uh, so uh, w- tell me about the training you received in terms of uh, uh, exposure of law enforcement of opiates and like the, the general risks and... Well, what, what were you guys told of that? What, what, how was it risky? And just that, yeah, just that in general. Um, it was, that was always a, a changing topic. And it seemed like anytime there was a reported incident or something on social media, then, you know, we may have a discussion on it, but, um, it was kind of, it was limited. It was just, you know, whatever the, the common consensus in law enforcement was, we'd go with that. And then if mm-hmm. it would change, we'd go with something else. I mean, there was a point there where we weren't allowed to use, um, they had banned the use of, uh, I can't remember exactly what it was, but it's a, a drug testing kit on the side of the road mm-hmm. because of the concern of... Mm-hmm. False positives. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, and also... They didn't want you handling any of the the drugs because of fear of just, you know, being near it. Mm-hmm. You know, you'd mm-hmm. overdose. Lots of mysticism around that. Yeah. Uh you know, fentanyl was obviously the uh the big the big thing where everybody was freaking out about it. Mm-hmm. And um And I think we've talked about this before, but I believe it's Mylan that got the first patent on uh dermal absorption fentanyl patches okay and took them over 30 years to figure it out mm. uh and for our listeners uh fentanyl is not toxic to you through dermal tra- uh exposure unless there's uh, uh, like an abrasion or cut or something it's the mucosal uh the mucosal uh, absorption right and exposure uh the concern is the pluming of the agent yeah. right so uh if you are handling it uh, and it's, uh, depending on the size of the fiber or whatever, um, uh, the exposure of it and suspension in air that you then inhale is the concern. And I'm not saying that folks that have self-reported are, are, are lying that, you know, I'm sure a certain amount of them were legit. A certain amount of them were, you know, probably a little bit psychosomatic. Yeah. Yeah. Um, the, uh, the, uh, what about self-administration of naloxone, of Narcan? Uh, I know, I believe that it was taught. I just don't remember yeah. what exactly they said. And I don't know what the right I mean, I I I personally believe the right answer is if you have to if you're self-administering it it's probably ain't that bad cuz the whole point is to restore respirations. 
I'd love to hear your guys' take on it. But I, and we're actually going to have a guy, a physician, on that's going to come and talk about this topic specifically. He's a, a he's a physician at the Johns Hopkins Hospital who's also like a Toxium guy. I've tried to follow it. I mean, I think a lot of it is a you know anxiety reaction mm-hmm. to believing that you were exposed, or, or maybe mm-hmm. there you know there was somewhat of an exposure, but it's certainly not um you know going to make you overdose. And then you have that that fear, that anxiety. So I think that was kind of a lot of these situations. And then everybody's looking at it and yeah. seeing somebody experience an anxiety attack and saying, "Oh my gosh, they they overdosed." We just talked about two or three different ways that law enforcement is just getting undertrained across yep. the board. Oh, absolutely. Right. I mean, we're almost setting up these people for failure. And the sad part is, we're talking about uh, my experiences with a, well a proactive, well-funded law enforcement agency that has a very good relationship with county EMS. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of cooperation. Oh yeah, absolutely. Between yeah. between the responders from law enforcement and EMS. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of teamwork. It's not this um, you know, th- there's not animosity mm-hmm. there. Mm-hmm. I think that's a good segue to kind of transition away from the Loxone and into the actual relationship of the role yeah. between EMS and law enforcement. Mm-hmm. And, I, you know, we have to preference with that it's going to be different in every jurisdiction, right? Every Everybody has a different relationship between their EMS system and their law enforcement system. However, uh, there are, I think, some universal truths out there. So I guess, and this is going to be kind of a broad question for you, and if I hope it's not too difficult to answer, but when you think about putting yourself in the role as a law enforcement officer, and EMS arrives on scene, let's say it's for an assault or a cardiac arrest or an overdose or whatever scenario you want to pick, what are the expectations of law enforcement for EMS and what is the working role between the two agencies? Uh, I mean, it's going to be different with with every type of incident. Um, and it also coming from a you know it's somewhat of a rural county or a rural slash suburban county um it depended on where you were at in the county and what the ems response is Mm -hmm. so you know let's say a a cardiac arrest if you're down in the heavier suburban area where your ems response is pretty quick and they have a lot of ems resources and your law enforcement officers there's more down there as well you know, law enforcement may get on scene first and and do CPR, but EMS is shortly behind, and uh, they have a full crew, and they take over, and law enforcement goes to do whatever uh, law enforcement role they need to do, whether it's, you know, interviewing or getting information from the family, anything like that. Mm-hmm. Transition to the other side of the county where it's more rural, well, maybe like, like you had talked about, one person shows up, a chief officer shows up, or mm-hmm. uh, an ambulance that's driver only. Well, your your role is still going to be that, you know, EMS care. You're mm-hmm. just going to be assisting, or maybe uh, maybe the the driver of the ambulance is going to be assisting you because mm-hmm. you have more training than sure. than they do. Um, and it it just kind of depends on every call. I That's mean, fair. It's, it was a it was a broad question. Yeah. You answered it well, but you know, I I feel like what you're saying is we should be supporting each other. You know, we play off each other's strengths and try to accomplish. We're going to have individual missions 
uh, but some shared goals. Yep, fair. Absolutely. Okay. Yeah. Uh, so I guess where I kind of wanted to take that then was to think about a scene that's got maybe a little bit more of a criminal investigation element to it. So we'll say an assault or a motor vehicle collision or something like that. And I know one thing I run into sometimes at work uh, is we'll have somebody who is maybe a, a little bit higher priority, sick or injured, who we really need to get to the hospital, but we have difficulty getting law enforcement to take a step back because we have a, a truly time sensitive issue going on with our patient and we need to get them to the hospital, but maybe law enforcement either doesn't understand that or doesn't care or has their own priorities because certainly whatever they're doing is important, but is it that time sensitive that it's going to override patient care? You know, and what's the, the most diplomatic way to approach that kind of situation? Maybe it's important. Um, <laughs> yeah, I mean, if, if you have a, a priority one patient and we're sitting there delaying you because I need insurance information that I can obtain later. That uh, doesn't happen. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's we've had this discussion before multiple times about how different, you know, where I was working compared to where you're working at and that that relationship and kind of uh teamwork and understanding there's certainly a, a major difference there um and i think it just depends on each person uh i certainly saw officers that would try to delay ems because they have a job to do and they're they think that you know maybe their job isn't more important but it still needs to get done and they're going to do what they have to do mm-hmm. whereas there were other people who understood hey uh we can get that information later. We'll figure that out later. We'll, you know, we can get in touch with the EMS crew and get information from them later. Uh, yeah. We're not going to delay them or get in their way. Um, okay. I, yeah. Again, it's kind of one of those things where it just, it all depends on the person. It depends on the agency. Um, so. In the same vein, uh, kind of a legal question, and certainly we're not giving out legal advice here, but it may be a custody question. The police have somebody in custody, or the law enforcement agency does, I guess I should say, and that person clearly needs medical care. However, that person is refusing care. Um, They don't want to get in the ambulance. They don't want to go to the hospital. They don't want EMS to treat them. What needs to happen from the police side to get that person treatment? Is that an emergency petition, or because they're under in custody, is there a different set of rules that apply? How's that functionality happen? Ooh. That that's a tough one. Um, I'm not really sure. I think that's one of those questions where it would probably you would probably call a supervisor, okay, and 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 get some guidance because yes, they're in custody, but if there's, I guess an an, an emergency petition would be a good way to go about it as long as you could articulate why you're doing it. Um, but that's a really, that's kind of a tough legal question. If somebody's doesn't fall into that category of, of an emergency petition, how do you force them right to do something, even if they are in custody? Well, in the, emer- 
Sorry, Moose, well, go ahead. The only thing I would say is capacity comes into play, right? Sure. Because uh, at this point, the cus- the legal, like the state taking custody of an individual due to a crime is a separate bubble than the medical capacity and medical decision-making. So I think that, uh, and I'm going to turn my mic up here a little bit, uh, I think it depends on their capacity in that moment, right? Because they still, if they're, if they have capacity, right, if they're alert or oriented, they don't have a, uh, an obvious need to or obvious desire to hurt themselves or others, then they still retain that capacity for medical decision-making. So uh, they would have the capacity to refuse. Yeah. Right now, the only thing would be, uh, uh, I mean, a psych, a psych case or a, a substance abuse case or uh, something like that. I mean, that's the way I think about it. And, and just to throw another little hiccup into that that situation there, when you go to the detention facility, they're going to do a medical evaluation. If that person clearly needs medical care, the facility's not going to accept that. That's they're going to say take them to the hospital. So then. What do you do at that point? That's where this question is coming from. Interesting. Okay. Not, not that I've ever run into that in real life. Yeah. But yeah. <laughs> wait, wait. So say that again. So like, so the the any detention facility has like medical staff, right? I, I hope so. Okay. Um, okay. It. I'm assuming things are different everywhere. I, I'm yeah. just speaking for the sure the facility that I was at. Um, there is a medical staff, and they have to do a medical evaluation prior to them accepting that prisoner Mm -hmm. and there's plenty of times where the facility would refuse a prisoner because medical staff says no they need medical care they have to go to the hospital yeah i guess from that perspective though it's a little bit different because they whether they have capacity or not Mm -hmm. that is an agent of the state that has a medical authority that is separate medical authority from our authority Right. So they are within the detention construct or the law enforcement construct. They're a medical entity that's saying, hey, our function is to make sure that this inmate or this suspect uh, is fit for uh, temporary incarceration or whatever the term is. Right. Mm-hmm. And if they say, no, they're not healthy, then I feel like you what, then you would have the authority. Right. To take them to the hospital then. And I just don't know how the. Well, I, I think it then it goes back into that that first question. If they're if if. They don't need to be EP'd. Mm. Then how do you get around that? I'm not. I'm not exactly sure what the answer is. is like, does, because yeah, is that like a judge or a commissioner stepping in and saying that, or is that just like? Nope, that's literally just like the, a nurse that says. So the the nurse would do their evaluation, and then the supervisor in charge of the processing center mm-hmm. is either going to accept or not accept that prisoner. Mm. Interesting. And if you look at the way that. And we can talk more about EPs later, but the way EP law is written in Maryland, it's really geared primarily towards psychiatric stuff. You know, there's not a lot of wiggle room that mm-hmm. you could say I'm an emergency petition you because you're not making health decisions that are in your best to sit or best uh, interest. And I just want to say that's a very slippery slope, folks. Yes. Uh, yes, it is. Because yes, just in the current climate, we're not going to go into that. But what is a good medical decision and who's right. deciding what a medical... Obviously, psych is the obvious thing, but... Yeah, yeah. I just want to put that out there. So there's there's not there's really probably not of applicable room in the EP process for something like that, and I probably shouldn't have brought it up because <laughs> I knew better. But um, yeah, it's 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 a very interesting question, and it's something that does happen, you know, probably every day. Yeah. But you know, how's it handled? I just get very concerned with. Uh, 
like I, I like it with for psych, right? I think it works for psychiatric patients. I think it works for uh, complex overdose patients that may have a psych component, right? May mm. or may not. I think it, it works in that fashion. I guess I should probably clear up what I just said. Moose wants to take everybody's freedom away <laughs> and force them to go to the hospital if he doesn't like their health decisions. Well, well the thing is quite the opposite, right? I see the I see the danger in that because who is deciding what information we're basing off of and what is a good versus bad health decision? Well, I, I know that's kind of not the scope of this conversation, but I just wanted to clarify that. The way the EP law is written right now, any peace officer can make that decision. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. Tell me about that training that you guys got. I don't even remember. Really? Uh, I mean, it's just something that we went over in the academy, and here you go. And and I just, well, I shouldn't say that. Um, law enforcement is a lot of force-fed information in the academy, and then once you get out on field training is when you actually learn what to do and how things work. But, uh, and it's, uh, not but. I, I was going to say, it, it is realistic for, depending on the various different places our listenership works, right, across the country and across the world, uh, especially across the country, their field training, may they might not even run a site case, maybe, right? I mean, oh, absolutely. You know, there's right? a, I mean, there's a lot of stuff that yeah. I never covered in, in field training, and it was two years down the road when it finally, you know, you finally came across that call, and you're like, what do I, how do I do this? What am I supposed to do here? That just blows my mind that we're setting up law. I know I already said this, but we're setting up law enforcement to fail. We are. And actually, um, before we started, just to kind of go back to that, that why that's happening, um, Ken and I were speaking about it before. You always see this expectation of more training, more training, more training. Sure. Um, but there's more to it. And, and we already kind of covered it, but... If the money's not there and if the people aren't there, you can't sure you, know, you can't send officers to training. Of course. And um law enforcement is expected to be, you know, providing emergency care and be skilled in that field. Uh, you know, to basically be a lawyer, mm-hmm. uh, to be a mental health expert. And, you know, now they want officers to be jujitsu experts mm-hmm. and all this stuff. Well to be proficient at all that stuff you would basically have to train every day. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it's just, uh, it, it's difficult, you know, I, obviously more training is great, but it's just kind of the, everything that's behind it. And what do we really want out of law enforcement? Yeah. So, uh, scope creep, you're talking about scope creep, yep, right? Um, absolutely. so, uh, and this is coming from a guy who isn't obviously knows nothing about law enforcement, but I imagine that, uh, just like how do you guys have con ed requirements continuing education requirements yes yeah okay. every every agency in maryland does they have to meet a certain amount of in-service hours is that the law enforcement training thing across the state isn't that like yes. a board or something yeah so maryland has a and i think most states do but they have um i'm trying to think of what it's called i, I can't i can't remember the name of it mm-hmm. but yeah there's there's an, an overseeing agency that sets the requirements for basic training mm-hmm. for all law enforcement, that, mm-hmm. that initial entrance training, and then also the continuing education or in-service training yearly. Mm-hmm. And that that has to be met by every agency. But again, that's minimal mm-hmm. law enforcement stuff. It's, you know, the, the CPR first aid certification um, and, and whatever else they want to throw in there. So, And 
so uh, I know it's maybe not EMS. But what do you think the answer is? What's in your ideal scenario? What do you think the answer is to? I, I don't know. I you know? I have no idea. I've thought about it a million times. Um, and obviously I believe in training, mm-hmm. but um, it it can't be like the military where the military is, their job is to train. Mm-hmm. They train, train, train. Okay. And then they go do what they need to do. Sure. Well, law enforcement's the opposite. You're doing what you need to do every day. You're answering those calls a lot of times back to back to back. You don't have time to do anything else. Mm-hmm. And you train minimally when you can. Um, so I'd love to see more training. Mm-hmm. But I know... You know, like a lot of people, I certainly don't want to see my taxes go up. Yeah. Um, and most people don't want to be a cop nowadays. So how do you staff an agency mm-hmm. to be able to get officers to go to training? Mm-hmm. Um, you can always do what EMS does and tell people that, uh, oh, you need an X amount of training, but you have to do it on your own. <laughs> which yeah. is a terrible system yeah and like you said nobody wants to be a cop and that's not going to incentivize people to do it um but i guess and that was a little tongue-in-cheek what i said uh but it's 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 really tough because how do you in a way to me it's it's even tougher than ems because ems needs to know a lot about a bunch of medical stuff but law enforcement needs to know a lot about a lot of stuff. Yeah. Yes, and there's exactly. not, it's not so simple as to just say you need X amount of hours of X topic because every time something happens politically or in current events, the scope and the requirements and the expectations on law enforcement change. Because law enforcement is often the first one on many situations, we expect you to be able to do all this different stuff you have to basically you have to be a parent to people you have to be a friend you have to be a pro wrestler you have to be a jujitsu expert you have to be a lawyer you have to be a mental health expert you have to be an emt you have to you know all these different things how do you do that you know yeah i don't i don't know and i mean if you want um you know going back to 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 your comment uh having people do it on their own i I believe in that, not necessarily, uh, you know, forcing that, but people should want to be doing that stuff on sure. their own. But I guess to, to be an expert in all those fields, uh, you know, how much training are you doing? If I want to be a firearms expert, you know, how much do I have to shoot per week? Right. If I want to be great at jujitsu, how many times am I training a week? Right. Um, so, and if I, you know, if I want to keep my EMS skills up, well, how much time am I spending at the firehouse mm-hmm. running EMS calls? So if you, if you add that stuff up and whatever else, where's time for family? Where's time for, you know, anything else? Maybe yeah. pursuing education, that kind of stuff. So yep. I want to ask you about law enforcement and mental health. Okay. Like, where's that come into play? I mean, how, I mean, your experience and I mean, cause everything we're describing, what you especially can just summarize, I feel like perfectly the, all the different stressors, uh, where does your own self care come into play? And maybe I'm not, we don't have to talk about you specifically, but just like the culture of what you, you know, in general, you know, on top of, of that stuff, you know, most cops are working overtime or a lot of cops are working overtime, sometimes a ton of overtime, um, 
which is creating burnout. The calls that they're answering is creating burnout or, or create, creating some sort of mental health issue. Um, and then a lot of first responders like to fuel those issues with drinking or mm-hmm. whatever else. And it's just a kind of a, a downhill uh, slope from that point. So I don't, there's not necessarily a, a, a focus out there to try to solve that issue mm-hmm. or to improve that. Um, I think I'm getting off. I don't know if I even answered. The no, question. You are, no, I don't even know. No, um, you, you're doing great. Yeah. So I do know. I I saw recently. Uh, I try to keep up with all of these topics as mm-hmm. much as I can. Um, not in the field anymore, and I'm not doing any of this stuff. Mm-hmm. But um, there's an agency I think in the Midwest or on the West Coast that they put into place uh, where officers have to take a one month leave of absence. It's paid, but it's strictly for mental health to get away from law enforcement and it's this new thing and some people are for it some people are against it and don't know how it's going to work but yeah this this chief apparently um i guess believes in this this issue and understands it and is his belief or um i guess what he's found is you're going to take a month off from work and you're going to go get your mental health straight Hmm. spend time with family and uh and you hopefully come back and fit and refreshed. So either he believes in it or it's a really good marketing tool because they want to, <laughs> they want to get officers from other agencies, which, you know, that's, that's what law enforcement is. Mm-hmm. It's, and since I've been in, it's about basically trying to make your agency better or appear better so you can steal officers from, from other agencies. Mm-hmm. It's really interesting to me that you said that there's not it sounds like there's not a culture of concern about these mental health issues in the police or in the law enforcement world. And the reason that that, that interests me so much is because right now in the fire service and EMS, you cannot get away from topics like burnout, depression, PTSD, Mm -hmm. stuff like that is being talked about all the time. We actually have in my jurisdiction, we have morning announcements every morning. And one of the rotating morning announcements is, you know, although uh, the recognition of PTSD in the fire service is increasing, there's still a lot of unrecognized depression. You should talk to your healthcare provider and be screened. Like that's something we hear every couple mornings at work. So it's interesting to me that there's not a similar approach in law enforcement because you guys are dealing with the same exact scenarios that we're dealing with and in some cases you're dealing with a lot more heated scenarios um in particular you know i think like domestics and stuff like that you know you guys are in the thick of it in one way i you know i talk to my hospital friends ems is different from the hospital realm because we deal with the situation in the situation and we see the the bad stuff that never makes it to the hospital but law enforcement sees stuff that EMS doesn't see as often because you guys go into the domestic, into the active shooter, into that situation that we're not, we deal with the aftermath of that. And then the hospital deals with the aftermath Mm -hmm. of the aftermath, but the stressors are still there throughout the continuum. And I'm not trying to downplay what the hospital workers deal with it. Oh yeah. Yeah. Everyone has their own unique stuff. So I should, I should kind of correct there. There was plenty of talk of, you know, improving mental health. Um, we, again, the agency was pretty proactive that I worked at and, uh, there were people who believed in it 
and um, you know they certainly the topics were covered. There were there were some resources. It wasn't uh, it wasn't something that that never got talked about and was never seen. Uh, but the issue comes down to not necessarily um, what the resources are, because you can provide resources all day long and you can talk all day long, but it's about the repercussions of um, mm-hmm. if if you basically admit that there's an issue. Mm. Um, so if you uh, if you admit that there's an issue, there's a there's a good likelihood that you're gonna have your gun and badge taken. Wow. And if that um if that happens and you know, let's say that you have to go uh maybe go to the hospital against your will, well you're never gonna get that gun back. Right. You've you've lost your you know, your job. Maybe uh you've lost uh your your calling of what you were supposed to do, your income source for your family. Um so it's a very difficult thing um, just because of what can happen. And I guess to compound that, you know, that that's even more of an issue for the the average law enforcement officer, because there's a significant percentage I would imagine who don't have another skill set to fall back on. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, what are you, yeah. What what are you going to get involved in? Uh, You know, there's, there's plenty of officers that, have other interests or, or a degree in something or maybe have experience in something else. But uh, if this is all you know and, and all of your, your training and uh, outside knowledge is based on improving your career and all of a sudden you lose that and you can't do it, well, what do you do now? Sure. And you probably can't go do armed security or anything like that because, again, you lost that ability to carry that firearm. So it's just a, it's a very that's, that's a tough spot because uh, what ends up happening, I imagine, is people bottle up their stuff to the point where either they do get to the point where they're that sick, or they're right under that su- they they ride that subclinical mental health illness, uh, or not subclinical. That's not what I meant. Uh, what's the word? It, it, they ride right under where people start noticing too much, and maybe a citizen pays the price, right? And that 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 that's a that's a tough road. Uh, and uh, yeah, I don't know how you fix that. That or you know you bottle it up enough until it leads to suicide. Yeah. Or, um, yeah. I mean, there's and that's it happens all the time. It, yeah. And uh, that's what happens. Yeah. So it's yeah. it's just a very difficult topic there, and and I'm not sure what the uh, I, I don't know how you would fix that. Yeah. Because if you have somebody who has a serious mental health issue, and shouldn't maybe shouldn't have their firearm Mm -hmm. well then you can't allow them to keep that you can't allow them to carry that while they're working you know for for liability reasons and and for safety reasons so you can't sit here and say well just come talk to us you're not going to lose your gun and badge because you can't really make that promise i know sorry go ahead okay i was just going to say i know one thing that uh a lot of career and even volunteer jurisdictions do now in the fire service is it well in particular the the paid part of this obviously relates to career but if i were to go to the iaff and say i have a problem and i need help i will be paid to go to treatment for help 
at the IAFF Center of Excellence for however long I need to stop drinking or get my mental health straight or stop doing drugs or, you know, whatever the case is. Um, and it's like an amnesty program. Mm -hmm. You know, it's like saying, hey, I'm, I'm saying I have a problem. And obviously I don't carry a gun. Uh, <laughs> but, um, you know, I think there is some utility in a program like that where maybe you can say, hey, I'm going to set this gun down for a month or two. And I'm going to get the help I need. And, you know, maybe a, a psychiatrist can evaluate me and say, okay, you, you're, you're okay to be a law enforcement officer again. And maybe that should be okay, you know? Yeah, and there, there may be um, something like that in place. I'm not exactly sure. But I think uh, there's still that, there will always be that fear, mm -hmm. whether that's in place or not, of, well, if I get evaluated and they say no, then I lose everything. So why am I even going to start that process? Right. Or, you know. Uh, and there's a when stigma. I, when, when I do get through it and everything works out, I go to court and the uh, defense lawyer is all of a sudden bringing up how I'm not fit mm. to testify or not fit to, to do something because of these these issues. Right. Because they're going to, I mean, they people find out information and they're right. going to use anything they can for their client. The, oh, see that brought, well, I'll ask that later. Um, so you brought up the gun and badge. Is there, this is going to piss off some people. <laughs> <laughs> is there is there too much indoctrination and identification for a law enforcement officer and their badge and gun? Uh, like, is, is that is that something you are like taught in the academy? Uh, and I'm not saying it's right or wrong. I'm just saying is that a thing? And is there a way to decouple that from the identity of a law enforcement officer and in place of it try to promote their own mental health like well being? Um, I'm not sure if. There was never like a focus on it mm -hmm. as far as uh, being taught that or being indoctrinated into mm -hmm. that. Um, and speaking personally, that was just my goal was always to get to law enforcement. Mm -hmm. And I focused on it for so long and that's what I always wanted to be. Mm -hmm. um, that it was kind of that... Uh, it meant something to me. They, they were the badge. symbols of you re like reaching your goals. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Yeah. And, um, and just to kind of add to that a little bit, uh, you know, I always wanted to be a law enforcement officer in the community that I lived in mm -hmm. because I felt that it was important and, um, you know, felt like I could actually do something good. Mm -hmm. Uh, so that, that gun and badge meant so much to me. It was never mm -hmm. that it was, it was, pushed on me it was a, a personal thing sure um I, i'm not sure how you would uh kind of de decouple that sure i'm not sure sure i think we're we're talking to somebody though here ken that i feel like not a lot of law enforcement officers do what you just said right that's correct right i mean and i don't know what this i mean this has to do with it or not have to do, but like living in your community that you police, I imagine is pretty important. Right. I mean, and tough. Yeah. And tough. Yeah. Because you're, you're running the folks that you pay potentially know. Um, I remember when I first started volunteering where I, where I was born and raised, it was a completely different ball game. Right. Uh, everything from running and pronouncing people that I know to, uh, 
you know, not having to look at a map book because I knew exactly what random street to go to. You know what I mean? It, it just, yeah. So I'd love to hear your thoughts on that. Well, I, I know that most law enforcement, or I shouldn't say that, I, I think that there's that push from a lot of people that you can't live and work in the same area because there's that paranoia that, you know, somebody's going to recognize you and come, you know, retaliate mm-hmm. at your, your residence. Um, I, I always wanted to, I only wanted to work in the area I lived because I believed in the community mm-hmm. and I wanted to have those personal relationships and I guess be that, um, I, I could assist people that I knew. Mm-hmm. Um, so it was always important to me. I know a lot of people don't, but I'm not, I'm not really sure how to, how to answer it. I, again, I just think it's that, that paranoia of somebody retaliating I and I wasn't was worried about it. I didn't know that that, like that was a specific thing that like you don't live where you work. I didn't know that. Uh, I mean, I think it's just a, like a general thing. It's just a general opinion mm-hmm. of a lot of people. Uh, the other thing, too, is that there's, um, I, I guess, when you're, well, I think the paid fire service is the same way. Mm-hmm. You put in applications everywhere. Mm-hmm. Whoever picks you up first is where you go. Yeah. Um, so I know that law enforcement is kind of the, 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 same, the same way with that. Mm-hmm. Um, and I certainly put in a ton of applications, and I would have taken a job anywhere. But the goal, even if I went somewhere else, was always to come back to the county I lived in. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I ple- where my house, like I policed that area, mm-hmm. which is wasn't done by a lot of people. Um, and, yeah, I ran into friends that I've known my entire life. And there were some calls where it was, you know, too close mm-hmm. that then I'd have a you know, another officer step in sure. and handle it. But I don't know. I, I it was always very important to me. Yeah. And, and I think that if, if that, I think we'd have better law enforcement if there was a focus on that. Sure. Um, well, you're invested in the community. Exactly. And I mean, I'm not talking anything against anybody that polices. I'm not saying they're not invested in that community. I'm just saying that my hometown where I grow up, where I know, you know, Miss Sue next door, right? And her, right, I, I, I'm more incentivized to uh, police there. You're invested. Yeah. If, if you know the people, you know the community. Yeah. And, and I think there's also, you have to be a better law enforcement officer. You have to be um, just a better person. I think for the most part. Um, oh, if you do your own community. Yeah, if you oh, do your own community. Uh, because, you know, if, if you're in a a large agency and you work in an area that you don't really care about, you're mm-hmm. just there for the job, well, you can, you know, it, it, doesn't, ma- it doesn't really matter what happened. And I'm not saying that everyone's like that, but I think that, that you could kind of fall into that. Mm-hmm. Where it doesn't it doesn't matter. Uh, whatever you do doesn't matter. You're there to do your job. And yeah. whatever. If the community falls apart, it falls apart. Um, whereas that was never an option for me. Okay. Interesting. Yeah. I, I have a lot more questions, but like, <laughs> I, do you guys want to take a pee break or something? I'm good. I kind of do. Okay, yeah, let's take a pee break. <laughs> well, I'll just keep recording. I have a lot more questions. Okay. Yeah, so we were talking about... Uh, 
you know, uh, martial arts and uh, EMS. No, what were we talking about before? Were we? Did we finish the working where you live thing? Or yeah. Did we have anything to add? To, I'm not sure if we were done with that or not. I can't remember. No, no. I think uh, well, we, we should were, take notes. Probably. <laughs> I, I usually do. I have an iPad that I usually take notes. It's actually in my backpack. I just didn't take it out. But um, I don't know. So. I don't know. So going back to what you know, where you live, where you going to say something? Yeah, I yeah. do have something to add to that. Sure. Um, coming from you know, you're you're working where you live, where you grew up. That relationship with EMS was amazing mm-hmm. because a lot of the providers I had volunteered with, or I had you know uh, been responding to to calls with them because I was working a certain location that I wanted to build you know, a relationship with the community. Well, the same providers were always there. So we would, we were running calls together. So you're getting to know those people. You're more invested in, um, maybe not, but you're more invested in the community, but you, you, you're building that relationship with EMS. And all of a sudden it's not, you know, there's fireside and we're law enforcement and whatever, we're going to do our separate jobs. Mm-hmm. It changes into, we're all responders. We're coming here. Hey, do you need help with something? Can I help? Yeah. And then doing the same thing. So I just, I, I believe in that working where you live and building that relationship. All right. I got a hard question for you. Oh man. This is a tough one. And uh, you don't have to answer it, but you do. <laughs> all right. Say you got a community that doesn't trust police. How do you cultivate recruitment from that community? Uh, especially when there's like other like socioeconomic things that factor in as well. I Definitely do not know the answer to that. Fair enough. Um, I, just meeting the, um, you know, if, if you have a community like that, a lot of times uh, community members may not meet the requirements that are there. Sure. So do you lower standards to a point where, mm-hmm. you know, people Oh, well, that's my next question. Perfect. Uh, yeah. People have criminal charges or sure. drug use or you know, don't have a high school diploma, mm-hmm. can you yeah. have them be law enforcement officers? So I think there has to be basic education standards, mm-hmm. right? So I think that across the board, and there has to be proficiency testing, mm-hmm. right? Uh, by the way, I think there should be continuous proficiency testing, not just one-time proficiency testing. I agree. Um, the criminal conduct thing, I don't have an opinion on because that's not my, yeah, I don't know yeah. that, right? Uh, drugs. Mm-hmm. This is kind of radical, I guess, but I am totally cool with uh, prior drug use if it was from a long time, especially marijuana, right? Like, I I don't give a shit about marijuana, right? I don't. Maybe it's an age thing. I don't know. But, like, who cares? But if you were dropping speed balls every damn day for 20 years and now you're 50 and you want to be a cop, mm, maybe we should... But there should be tangible ways of, like, testing that, right? Not, Not testing actual clinical samples but like i think we need to be a lot better about i think we're this is a personal opinion this is definitely going to be a hot take but like uh we kind of live in this weird puritan society in the united states where we don't allow for any like we we want to regulate like all drugs away and stuff like that it's not going to happen right no, of course the, not. the war on drugs has failed yeah uh and w- let's be real with who we're looking for as candidates now uh going back to the community policing thing uh 
I don't know what the answer is. Like where the line gets drawn of, hey, this is okay versus not okay. I wouldn't call it lowering standards though. I think if we reduced education requirements, that would be lowering a standard. I think it would be changing standards, right? Just because I imagine in the next 20 to 50 years, no one's going to give a shit in law enforcement if you smoke weed. I really don't think that's going to be the case. And if it is, it's probably going to be like three years down, you know, whether it's like a temporal thing, right? So amount of time that they're going to stop caring or it's going to be treated similar to alcohol. There are already places now. I saw a news article where uh, it it was not a news article. It was like an EMS journal where it was a certain, I wish I could remember where it was, but it basically came out and said their law enforcement and fire Mm -hmm. uh, cannot be penalized for a positive PVAT, or not PVAT, but positive uh, urinalysis for marijuana as long as they were not using on duty Mm -hmm. or impaired on duty. And a lot of agencies have changed their standards to allow for past marijuana use. Mm -hmm. That's not... I'm sure that there are still some agencies out there, but that's not really much of a thing anymore. Um, I think, you know, normally it's like haven't used within three years or five years or something mm-hmm. like that. And and there's a certain amount of um, uses, mm-hmm. which I don't I think that's maybe a little ridiculous. But um, it, it, the, the standards have changed, and I'm sure that they're still changing, especially after the past, you know, two, three years. Mm-hmm with everything that's happened and how uh, how few people want to get into the field. And, you know, I wasn't specifically talking about, you know, marijuana or um, maybe higher education, but if you have a community where, you know, people haven't gone through school, they dropped mm-hmm. out at sixth grade or eighth grade, mm-hmm. um, you know, heavy different types of drug use sure or sure um or or criminal activity or criminal activity or or they just can't you know if someone cannot they don't know how to maybe write write a report Mm -hmm. they don't they wouldn't be able to articulate themselves in court Mm -hmm. um i mean you you can kind of teach some of that stuff but you can only teach it so well i've seen Mm -hmm. officers who still can't write a report and still can't speak in court, mm-hmm. um, you know, how do you, uh, I guess, do you want them as law enforcement officers? I got an answer. Okay. You ready for this? Yeah. Extend the cadet program. Make it a GED program for dropouts, right? And make it a cult, like a, like a structured thing where if you enter this, you are in this. And if you, if you, fuck, if you mess up, you're out, right? Or maybe do a three, three strike rule or whatever. I don't know. But, open it up for earlier people right so i don't care 12 13 whatever right you whenever look at a community look at the average dropout age and range and target those individuals and say hey listen we and it's not going to be easy right you're not going to be able to some of these places you may not even be able to penetrate the community Mm -hmm. and this isn't only for law enforcement i I, honestly this idea was initially for ems and fire Mm -hmm. but i guess it also applies to law enforcement i think ems and fire will have a lot easier of a time implementing it because of the general stigma absolutely uh, against law enforcement right uh the um yeah make it a make it a again what do we need though funding don't make a cadet program start at 18. Make a cadet program start at 16, 14, 12, whatever it is. I don't know. Whatever the average ages of people drop out. And now you're cultivating good community-driven law enforcement officials uh, who are invested in their future. Yeah. And maybe maybe it's even simple as like getting another like 
positive like role model you know i i think that that's important i think that's i think the breakdown of the of communities is because there is no you know there's no defined future sure maybe sure don't yeah. have a desire to you know get a career because it wasn't pushed on them don't have a a role model to follow so sure. no, i think that that's an awesome idea yeah and i think it could certainly work and i mean and don't get me wrong i'm not saying a 12 year old should be like doing cpr <laughs> right well but, no, like, but they have yeah. so yeah. they have police explorers yeah which is I, I don't know what the age range is but it's younger it's usually i want to say it goes up maybe up to 18 and then if there's a cadet program that goes from like 18 to 21 um and I'm sure that's that can be different in, in certain places. But a lot of people go through those and, and follow through with it and become law enforcement officers. And uh, if you did that in a community where you were providing additional things, mm-hmm. um, I certainly think it could work. I think it's an yeah. awesome idea. Yeah. I, th- I mean, I think it's a great idea, too. You know, it, it's reminiscent of, you know, you used to hear parents talk about sending their misbehaving kids to military school. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. instead of joining the military, you join the police force. You know, it's uh. Wait, what? What? What do you mean? Uh, I haven't heard that. You've never heard that? Have no. you heard that? Military school? Yeah. Oh, absolutely. What, yeah. What is that? Yeah, basically, uh, your your like kids boarding are, school, but from yeah, home? yeah. Basically, your kids are really misbehaving. They're failing out of school, so you send them basically uh, to basic training for years until they finish their education and straighten themselves out. Does that exist today? I don't know if it still does. I don't know. It was always a threat when I was younger. But. Yeah. <laughs> maybe it was never a real thing, but maybe, maybe it was, maybe all it was made just up. something parents said to uh, scare the kids straight. But I think I, I think it's a great idea, you know. Um, and it it is hard because by its nature, there is a somewhat adversarial relationship, and it and I'm not saying it should be this way, but by the nature of policing. Mm-hmm. you're going to encounter negative reactions with the community because you're going in. And even if somebody's done something terribly wrong, it's still somebody's mother, daughter, mm-hmm. father, son. You're putting them in handcuffs and taking them away, sometimes mm-hmm. for years. And they may have assaulted somebody very badly, but to that person's friends and family – it may have been justified, and what you're doing is wrong. Even if you've done no true injustice, mm-hmm. it, it creates a, a difficulty between the people involved in that situation and the law enforcement department. And how do you, you know, how do you rectify that? Well, and you're you're always you're always the bad guy to yeah. somebody, and sometimes you're the bad guy to the victim. Yeah, because there's we've had plenty yeah. of cases where it's a domestic. Well, you know, one party. Maybe they didn't want their significant other arrested. They just wanted you to get them to stop doing what they were doing. Yeah, get them scared straight or something. Yeah. yeah. Well, then you arrest them because you have to. Right. Um, and all of a sudden, you're the bad guy to them, and now they're calling in com- complaints on you or, uh, you know, something of that sort. That's a unique perspective, though, right? So, like, fire and EMS is generally regarded as we're on the same side as the citizens. Whereas law enforcement has that added, like generally, and can, I'm sure you have, you maybe have a different perspective, but for me, generally, I never felt like my life was on the line, mm-hmm. right? So from a mental health perspective, I never had that. Like, were there some like shady times? Yeah, of course. But like, 
you all on a daily basis on top of everything we've all talked we've talked about already in terms of mental health stressors have that stressor of oh i might die right i mean yeah. and, and and i don't know how realistic that is obviously i'm not a cop but yeah. like that's, it wasn't every day but, but it certainly you know, happened yeah and i mean and at the very least i'm sure it's a part of the you know in general psyche of hey like this dude might have you know he might blow me up as soon as i walk up to his window yeah right yeah and i imagine that also wears on you over a career right i mean it, yeah it 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 certainly can um but it all i mean that's what makes officers become uh maybe more standoffish or more uh jaded and mm-hmm. and you Jumping. know how the yeah how they approach a call you know if there was a past experience where something happened and this 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 new experience is similar and it looks like it might be going that way well the officer's going to react a certain way mm-hmm whether it's warranted or not because of their past experience. Mm-hmm. Also, just to kind of throw something in, uh, go back for a second. There's, when you're viewing fire and EMS and you're viewing law enforcement, there's such a difference in how it's viewed based on location. So if uh, if a firefighter in California does something, nobody in Maryland's going to care. They're not going to have a negative perception of, of, of the fire service in Maryland because a fire one firefighter did something wrong on the other side of the country with law enforcement. If one law enforcement officer in California does something and it gets to the media, all of a sudden every law enforcement officer in the entire country is viewed from that negative perception. I mean, and and you look at things and, and, uh, you know, you can, you, you could sit here and be like, well, that would never happen here because of, this training we have, like whatever the incident was that, mm-hmm. that sparked this outrage literally cannot happen in the jurisdiction you're working in. And part of the community is still looking at you and saying, no, no, mm-hmm. you're a horrible person because of the profession you work in and you're going to do this to me. Mm-hmm. It's true. But let's look at, uh, and I'm, I don't mean to say, but, but like, let's also look at the other side though. Mm-hmm. Right. I mean, uh, let's look at the gun trace task force. Right. Oh, I yeah. mean, uh, there are, and, I would love to hear your thoughts, and this is way out of EMS, but uh, this is this needs to uh, we need to have this conversation. I think let's talk about the bad apple culture or the bad apple thing versus the systemic thing, right? So like people say, some folks say that there's bad apples, right? Mm-hmm. And then there's uh, other folks that say, sure, there might be bad apples, but there might also be systemic uh, uh, issues that then cause that may cause an agency to rot from that inside out. So absolutely, right? Um, I mean. I think it's one of those things. It's it's all kind of agency dependent. Mm-hmm. Um, the problem is people think that bad cops never get, you know, thrown out mm-hmm. before something. You know, it goes on for years, and then maybe maybe one of them gets thrown out here and there. The truth is that cops get fired all the time. Mm-hmm. It's just not something that is put out there in the public. Mm-hmm. Um, there's plenty of cops that do something and whether it's a criminal act or maybe it's just policy violations or um you know something that's unbecoming of a law enforcement officer Mm -hmm. they go through internal affairs and there's an investigation and they get fired um so the public doesn't see that Mm -hmm. um so so officers do get fired officers are held accountable um but again depending on what agency if you have an agency that actually pushes 
for that kind of stuff and does investigations and is is very um let's say they're on the right side of it where they're they know that they need to get rid of bad officers great but you could have an agency right down the street from them that from the top down is just corrupt Mm -hmm. and they do not get rid of those officers so i there there's problems but i think it's it's agency specific sure and I mean, the same can be said about a fire department, right? I mean, it, the the top down effect can have can support or uh, yeah. I mean, I should have been talking closer to the mic. Uh, <laughs> the the top down effect of uh, leadership and how they will allow for uh, uh, bad paramedics to stay there, mm-hmm. or bad EMTs to stay there, or bad firefighters to stay there, or will they? You know, will they? What are they going to tolerate? Right? Yeah, and. Uh, yeah, I don't know. I, I mean, I, I mean, I think that's just it. I, 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 what was it? What I think it was Ken and I, or maybe it was uh, another episode. We had everything. Coke. He uh, seems to distill down to bad leadership. Yeah, we we have talked about leadership. I know you did a leadership episode recently. I haven't had a chance to listen. Oh to yeah, it. yeah, yeah. We'll probably, um, yeah. And it may have been that. Although we did talk about leadership a good bit uh, a couple weeks ago, you and I. But that I mean, that's really true. Is you have to have a leadership that is responsible and mature and strong enough to hold bad people accountable mm-hmm. and they have to not be scared. And that becomes very difficult. And again, we're not getting political, um, but that becomes very difficult when you're dealing with unions and I'm not opposed to unions. Um, Our ratings are going to drop. Out I know. So just for the record, in the past three weeks, I have talked bad about volunteers and unions. So we now have no one left to <laughs> listen to us. Um, but no, I mean, that's reality. Like, it's it's hard hard when you, you deal with entities like that to uh, get rid of people sometimes. Mm-hmm. So um, and then you also have going back to. I mean, it's true in career departments, too, but also in volunteer departments, you know, the, the good old boy system, mm-hmm. you know, that that's my friend. I'm not going to get rid of that person because they're my friend. I'm sure the same is true in law enforcement world. Um, oh, yeah. You know, it, it's it's true. It's true in every uh, occupation and vocation. Mm-hmm. But it takes it takes an incredible amount of uh, just strength and integrity to get rid of bad people, especially if they are your friends or if it's difficult to do so. Well, I think uh, another aspect of this whole thing, looking at, you know, how we're, we don't have people wanting that job of law enforcement and it's hard to uh, recruit people into it. What, what point is something bad? So I guess at what level, Um, Mm -hmm. you know, if we had all the people in the world wanting wanting to to fill that spot maybe you can be uh, a little more strict but if you just can't hire people and you don't have the bodies to put on the road to answer the calls for service do you maybe look past certain things so and that's i mean that's um yeah i i I, I don't know do you do you not have the the you know let something go and and be able to answer those calls for service or do you just take the job from somebody and say, well, we're short now. Mm-hmm. Sorry. Can't answer these types of calls for service. I don't, I don't know. Yeah. It's, um, and it's a funding issue too, because let's say you need to remove this person from duty for a month or two. Now I need to pay somebody overtime 
to cover this position and I may not mm -hmm. have the bodies to do that in the first place as mm. you know uh, you alluded to earlier but none of this happens in a vacuum you know it's it, it becomes a question of funding of having personnel taxes mm -hmm. you know this is all paid for through taxes yeah you know so do we need to raise taxes so that we can better fund our police department so that we can provide mental health you know treatment for our officers no well, people don't want to hear that you know and again we're not trying to get political but you know these are the realities of this particular situation you know i think what's that i think we need to re do a reevaluation at every level of government of government expenditure uh yeah and I'm not saying lower taxes. I'm saying let's re let's reimagine where we're spending our money. I guarantee, oh, like yeah. every business does, like a, a like a checkup on the books, right? Like, hey, we implemented these policies. Let's, uh, you know, let's see how we're doing, right? Uh, does government ever do that? Does government ever check up? Hey, we passed Bill Number ninety eight slash blah 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 twenty years ago. How's it going? I think every agency is supposed to do an audit of themselves, I think is how it works. I think Congress can audit uh, uh, different agencies. There are certain politicians who go through that around Christmas time and make tweets about the ridiculous things the government spends money on. Um, however, I don't think – I think that when you look at the monolith – and the Leviathan that is the federal government and even the state governments. Local government. Too. And the local government, sure. <laughs> the amount of money that goes in and out and that is created and that is uh, spent to know where all of that goes would probably take an army of thousands. Of Do you people. know there's countries that do that, though? There's countries where you get a report on exactly where your tax dollars went. That's nice. You know, I can only imagine. That'll never happen here. That'll yeah. never happen here. I think one of my big issues, and I'm sure this was with agencies across the board, but um, so you have your budget. You have to spend that budget. Mm -hmm. You can't not spend it. You can't be responsible with it and only spend what you need because then your budget the following year will likely be less than it was mm -hmm. the year before. Mm -hmm. So then agencies have to... At the at the end of that year, scramble and say, "Oh my gosh, we have two million dollars." Buy a well, million Q-tips. Yeah, we need yeah. to spend this. Let's get everybody this, or let's spend it on this or something. Instead of saying, you know, we could say, "Hey, your budget will not decrease if you don't spend the money." Mm -hmm. Right. So spend what you need, save it. We can put it in a I don't know a, a rainy day fund or something like that mm -hmm. if there's an emergency that it needs to be spent on. Mm -hmm. But instead, you know, everybody, they don't want to be penalized for being responsible with the money, so they'll just blow all the money at the end of the year mm -hmm. just to keep the budget where it is. Yep. Or keep creating fake positions. Or keep, yeah, they, yeah. That's a whole other topic. <laughs> We've covered a lot here. We have covered a lot here. We'll just open this up to, like, make this a political podcast too who cares right i, I thought maybe we were just going right into we were, it yeah. we, 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 were, yeah. we were right on the cusp it was just teetering there you know so if there's one thing that you would tell an ems provider that you wish they knew that they usually don't know in your experience what would it be 
and that one kind of caught me off guard. I'm not really sure. I don't have an answer right off the that's, top of my that, head. That, that's not a bad thing. Yeah, yeah. not a bad thing. Um, uh, well, let me kind of just move away from that a little bit. I think a big issue is that people on both sides of the aisle don't um, – I'm talking about EMS and, sure. and police. I'm not going back to our, our politics. Um, they They don't understand each other's jobs and some of the things behind it, and they don't really care enough to do that. Um, just a good example. I was with another officer, and we um, we had responded. There was a, uh, I don't know, a wood stove that was smoking. Obviously, you know, it's a certain jurisdiction has uh, policies that they set a response guidelines, so it was a, it was a full box that was alerted for this. And the other officer sitting there like, what? Why are these volleys, you know, responding every piece of apparatus to this call for the wood stove? Mm-hmm. Like, well, they have guidelines and policies and stuff in place just like we do. Mm-hmm. You know, that this call comes out as this, so then the response is this. And I, I think it would be if we had something where we could just, you know, take a day or a couple hours, say, hey, this is how... EMS works, talking to law enforcement, and this is how they respond to these calls and some of their policies and guidelines, and then do the same on the uh, the EMS or law enforcement side. And um, I just think it would clear up a lot of things and maybe just create a little more cohesive working environment. We used environment. to have that, you and I, at your bonfire. Yeah. Until the rooster crowed in the morning. Yeah. Yes, we did. <laughs> yep. But the funny thing is, is we discovered when we would – talk about that kind of stuff we discovered a lot yeah you know, i just expected that things were the same across the board and i think you did with a lot of things too and just yeah. understanding how many differences there were coming from two different jurisdictions of mm-hmm. how uh law enforcement and ems uh coexist yep nice yeah i got, I got nothing else me gary do you for this anything? episode um, I'm trying to think if there's anything that we missed. Um, you can always come back if there was. I mean, I'd be more than happy to to come back if you guys want to have me back. Yeah, for, absolutely, for whatever. Absolutely. I would love it. We can talk, it doesn't even have to be a law enforcement episode. It'd be anything. You we're, can sit on. We're about it. to record right after this, so great. Oh, are you? Yeah. yeah. What are you guys doing next? You'll see. Just talking. Yeah, you'll see. Oh. You'll see. Well, what time is it? Twelve or five. That's mm. <laughs> fine. It's fine. I'll let you tell my wife that. Okay. That's fine. <laughs> I don't know your wife. I'll tell her anything. You tell me what you want me to tell her. She <laughs> might beat you up. No, I, Th- I that's, think that's fine. I'll yeah. just run back to Yeah, I don't want her I don't want her to be angry. No, um, yeah, I think I'm gonna skip this one, but I will uh Okay. If you do another one and want me in the future, I will I will gladly come. Anytime. Um, we absolutely do. Open invitation. Awesome. All right, well, let me know. I appreciate it, out. Okay, everybody, thank you for listening to Alert Medic One. Uh find us on Facebook, on Twitter. Uh, our website is coming soon. Leave us a like, rating, and review on the podcast app of your choice. That is the most important thing you can do to get us out there, other than telling us, telling others about us. Tell your partner at work. Tell your volunteer station. Tell your college class. Whoever it is, word of mouth is great. So thank you, everyone, for listening to Alert Medic One. Have a wonderful day. All right. 
You've been listening to the Alert Medic One podcast, the premier emergency medical services podcast with your hosts, Mustafa Sadiq and Ken Sanner. Thank you.